You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit our website at InsideActingPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 114 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. I'm Trevor Elgott. And on this podcast, that was a very nice radio voice. And on this podcast, thank you, we interview (laughs) actors, directors, agents, managers, casting directors, restaurant owners, financial gurus, personal fitness gurus. I'm doing like a Nordic Trek thing right now. (laughs) I don't know what's happening. I don't know either. Uh, It's times like this where we wish we had a video podcast, and then we try to do a video podcast, and we're glad we don't have one. But that movie's Um, from the Course Synergistics DVD. Oh, it kind of is, huh? The little, like, super skaters. Um, Speaking of P90X. Anyway, um, and then we put them into this ridiculous podcast where we make fun of ourselves and then put it on the internet for you. (laughs) That's right. And if you couldn't tell... Uh, by this point, uh, we're just two dudes. We don't really have any qualifications to be doing something like this, other than that we knew kind of how technically how to do it, and that we wanted to do it. Um, you know, we've we've worked a little bit in the industry, but we're not the you know we don't know everything. So the reason we started this podcast is to kind of learn as much as we possibly could from the people we interview. So uh, if you got questions or you hear something on the show that you want to kind of throw your two cents in on. Uh, we invite all voices, opinions, ages, ethnicities, genders, whatever. Go ahead and uh, start by uh, start getting in touch with us uh, by heading to our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. Yes. Uh, and on this episode, we have not only uh, your voice with a, an email and a voicemail we're going to respond to, but we also have the second part, yes, mm-hmm. of our two-part mm-hmm. interview with Lindsay Hollister, as well as a little uh, special uh, tag at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, stick around for both. Both of those. Good morning to all good Norsemen. I learned the other day that uh, in Australia, um, rooting, rooted, is a, is another word that they use for sex? Rooted? Yeah, like um, so like, rooted. R o o t e d. How would you use that in a sentence? I don't know, but anyway, uh, I thought it makes for some really good jokes around like square root. <laughs> yeah, yeah, square root. You know. Anyway, uh-huh. uh, so like if you is that like you, square you, root is like the Australian thing for like so like threesome scre- or foursome or something. Yeah, or like if you sc- or like if you screwed a geek. Like a square? <laughs> square root? I like that. Anyway, this is not a comedy podcast, we promise. I know. <laughs> well, we're not that People funny. Not so even yeah. Yeah, they're like, like, no, we know. We can tell. We know. Come on, move on. Move on to the good stuff. Uh, so what's new in your world in these past 60 hours? Days. Well, I mean, not not much other than just you know more rehearsing, but I wanted to, now that I have a little bit more energy, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the show, the audition process, and, and, and all of that that's going on. So... Um, <clears throat> I auditioned for Heather's over the course of about, I want to say like three or four weeks. Like there was an initial audition and then a callback and then a chemistry read. Um, it was intense. And, uh, some of them, you know, some of the, the auditions like lasted for a really long time, like hours, 
it was grueling, but at the same time, like I knew sort of, I knew who was in the room and I knew it was a good opportunity. And I was just, you know, being myself and being gracious and being all the things that we've learned and put together over the course of, you know, a few years of doing the podcast. And, um, before I left the room on the last, the very last day, the very last callback, the director, um, Andy Fickman, who you may know from Reefer Madness and She's the Man and what else has he done? A bunch of stuff. He um, he was like, AJ, I just have to tell you, like, you've just been so, he's like, you're so funny and you're so talented and you've been so gracious, gracious and just, a, you, you're just a nice guy and you've been so nice this whole time. It's just easy to, to deal with and da, da, da. And I, I was... It was, uh, it was nice feedback. It was weird. It was like one of the, I've never had that happen in an audition before. So I remember emailing my manager and being like, you know, I don't want to make anything up about this, but this could either mean that like they love me and I got the job or they were, you know, trying to let me down right. easy and not, and, and, and they're not going to give me the job. So who knows? And I was auditioning for a role, um, the entire time. And when I booked it, I booked ensemble. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about that, um, well, a couple of different things. First of all, I think the main, you know, when reading between the lines, looking at who got cast, looking at um, some of the things that the casting directors said to um, my manager, we think that it was because, and some of the things that they said at our first rehearsal, we think it it was because he looks younger than, than me. Um, but I'm covering, um, like three, two, two, it depends on what they decide to do. It's either I'm covering the, these two younger roles or I'm covering two younger roles and two older, like dad roles, which is really interesting. So like four different people in the show, but it says something interesting about like where I'm at age wise, where I'm reading. Mm. Cause it's like, I, I don't read, which I knew this, I don't read high school necessarily, uh, especially unshaven as I am right now. As is Trevor. Trevor looks damn sexy in a beard, by the way. Can I just say that? Oh, stop it. The beard, the beard look has got to stay, my friend. Um, oh, <laughs> you should talk about... You should put that Rapid Reel scene on our website so people can see you in the beard. Oh, okay. With you and yeah. the, the... She's really pretty, too. The girl you shot with yeah, in the, she's in awesome. the kitchen. Rebecca's awesome. Yeah, very good um, uh, And then the, uh, the... You know, I'm too young to play dad. You know, yeah. so I'm like right in the middle, which is not a bad. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, in terms of casting, that's just that's just how it worked out. Right. So that's the first point I wanted to to make, and then the other point that I wanted to make was the conversation that my manager and I had about taking the job, because it's interesting. If I was at a different level in my career, it actually might be the kind of thing that you would pass on. Because if I was already booking the type of film and television that these people could cast me in, there would be no reason to take an ensemble role in a sh- in a show where it's technically a 99-seat contract, so I'm not really getting paid very much for it. But since my career is at the level that it is, and these people are great relationships to create to book that level of film and television, it makes a lot of sense to go ahead, take the job, and then I'm around these people all the time, creating relationships, 
getting FaceTime with them, um, showing them what I can do. And then the fact is, like, in the ensemble, I'm going to end up playing, like, half a dozen, if not more, roles. I'm singing in, like, every song. They're considering right now giving me a solo and and creating, like, putting me into the role of this other character who has a solo. I just wanted to bring this up because I think it it's a it's an interesting point where you know some actors would be you know disappointed mm-hmm. because they didn't get that role and I was a little bit but then other actors might be like oh you know they would either turn it down or whatever like it just depends and I just wanted to make I just wanted to presence a conversation about the level at which you are in your career. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really smart way to look at it too. You know, I think, I think, uh, well, I know for myself, you know, five, seven years ago, I probably would have been thinking like, Oh, I didn't, why would I waste my time on this? I didn't get the big role. Like, I don't want to do a background or an ensemble part. I want to go for like stuff that's going to like build my, but you know, you're really taking the long kind of longer version. What am I trying to say? Long-term look at it and looking at it very strategically and in terms of relationships. And I think that's one thing we've touched on time and time again on the show, but also that I've really been learning is that I would say at least 50% at the very minimum, half of the reason that people work in this town is because they have a reputation for being somebody who is pleasant and consistent to work with. It's, it's really not, that much about how good you are it's about are we going to have fun having 18 hours days on set Hmm. you know am i going to enjoy seeing this person for seven hours every night Mm -hmm. you know like when we're exhausted and it's tech week and it's crunch time is this person going to be a douchebag diva you know or are they going to be somebody who's really wonderful to work with who i can count on to keep morale high to be generous to be gracious to not let their ego get in and screw things up. Hmm. And that's why I think, you know, I'll bring it up again. The work, you know, we do at MITT is so important because it teaches people how to get out of their head and get out of their conversations about right and wrong and, and judgment and all that stuff and just exist in the moment and, uh, be cool with people, you know? Yeah. It's about emotional intelligence. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I didn't talk about this in the last episode, but I, I mentioned to a couple of people that the week that I spent um, uh, in Australia would have been vastly different if it wasn't for the work that I'd done there and the work that I'd done on myself, you uh-huh. know, yeah. in terms of emotional intelligence. I don't know if I would have been able to handle it. I think I may have had some kind of like breakdown or episode or something like that. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. And it was, it was intense and it was emotional, but it wasn't, um, debilitating and it wasn't, it didn't set me back and it didn't, uh, change, you know, who I am at my core. You're absolutely right. Just being in those rooms, you know, and just constant, like, I can't tell you, like I started a song, like it was at the, I, th- I think it was at the second callback or something and i started the song that i brought in for the fir- very first audition and i just went up on my words like i forgot the word and it's a song i've sung a hundred times um and i just forgot the words and i was just like ha ah! and i like stopped and i was like hang on i was like i, I forgot the words <laughs> you know what i mean and i like made fun of myself or something i was like yeah. and then i went over and like the 
the guy they come in and it's like told me the words and I was like, oh yeah, duh, okay. And then I went back and I just started again. Like it's like whatever, like no big deal, just like you know, handle it because that stuff's gonna happen. You know, you're a human being. Yeah. But it's it's about how you handle it in the room. You know? Oh yes, very much. Yeah. How it, yeah, it's about <laughs> how you handle adversity and and things like that. You handle like a fun professional but like you know a casual professional you're not like a person with a stick up their ass like you can joke about it that's yeah that's something that is uh i think people need especially when it comes to productions where there's money in the line and there's deadlines and there's you know the show must go on kind of thing it's like mm-hmm. you need to have that sort of sense of levity and people want to be around professionals who can have fun yeah with themselves and with each other and you know I, yeah that's it, awesome, and, dude. and it was a fun room too like that helped <laughs> Like everybody was yeah. like always la- constantly laughing and joking and That's stuff. Cool. That was cool. Yeah, and you contributed so. to that too. You know. So the sh- thank you. So the show is um, is running the last two weekends of September, the first weekend of October. Tickets just went on sale. Let's see. By the time we put- published this episode, it would have been a week. I can almost guarantee, but that by the time this episode goes live, they'll be sold out. Cool. We're because we're almost <laughs> like Saturdays are almost completely sold out already, and um, yeah, and we're running out. We're just we're qu- very quickly running out of tickets. And you've only been in rehearsal for a week now. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah, tickets went on sale like three days after we started rehearsal, and we were like, "What? Calm down, everyone." That's but, great. Uh, but it's 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 in it's in very high demand. There's like this whole following. This, I mean, there's a cult following of the film, so there's that that has created a cult following for the the musical. So sweet, man. Well, congratulations. Thanks. I'm excited. <laughs> cool. Uh, should we move on? What to did our, you? Uh, I, I didn't really have much <laughs> in the past, like sixty hours. I really don't have uh, uh, much to talk about, except that uh, last night I went down to Manhattan Beach to see some old high school <clears throat> friends. Um, one guy I grew up playing like, you know, little league baseball and soccer with and stuff and went to high school and then he went to NYU and he got his degree in film and and all that stuff. And he lives in Manhattan beach with, uh, my friend Katie, uh, who also with whom to be grammatically correct, I also went to high school with, uh, just screwed it up. Because I ended it with a with. Um, but, uh, you corrected yourself and then you, and then you, I just, you tacked it on. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I also went to high school with, habits with, die hard. with her. And it, you know, they're together. They've been married for a few years and she's pregnant now and she's due in October. So it was really great to see them. But Dan is, um, he's a really great guy. He uh, is really interesting in that he's a, a writer, director, kind of filmmaker. But he also does a lot of kind of like odd editing work or like he's very much involved in the gay rights activist movement. He did a lot of work with them and he does a lot of like charitable. He's editing something for St. Jude's Children's Hospital now and his his reasons for taking the job were because it was a charitable thing. And uh, it, it's, it was just cool. But anyway, the point of the story is he showed me this um, these six episodes of this of this web series he put together called web love and it's about like uh these these two people that go through a series of like awful dates and then finally connect with each other like they finally find each other and it's really funny i was in one of the episodes as one of the bad dates and uh it's just about done i did some adr work last night with him and then we watched the other ones that he's got pretty much finished and it was really fun to see and uh i think the lesson here is that he is such a perfectionist and he's so close to the project that he doesn't have a lot of perspective about it. And they're really funny episodes and they're really tightly edited and the production quality is fantastic. 
And the whole time, uh, and I, I love Dan, but the whole time he's just like, Oh, I don't know. You know, like I wish it were tighter. I wish it were this. I wish it were that. And it, he just, he took a lot of convincing for us to be like, no dude, it's really, really good. Like you got to get these out before the baby comes. Cause when the baby comes, you're going to have your hands full. And, and he's like, Oh yeah, I guess I, I really should. I really should. But you know, I think the lesson there is just to, it's just to listen to your peers and, and own your work. Cause I was so, um, to be honest, I, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Uh, and when I saw a rough cut of it, the sound was really echoey and stuff. And I was like, and then he wanted the ADR, like almost all the lines. And I was like, really? Like, then we did it. And I saw the other ones that he had already ADR'd and I couldn't even tell they were ADR'd. And he did this really cool way of doing it. He'd take the, he'd take like a couple words at a time and he put them together in like one long quick time file. And he just looped that little like five second clip over and over like 12 times. And so he had a whole like seven minute quick time movie of these little segments looped like 12 times. <clears throat> so literally the first clip was me being like, sure, 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 sure. Like that little piece just playing over and over and over. And then he mic'd me up with like a little uh, lav mic and I would just watch the video and then try and basically match my voice to it over and over and over again. Oh, it's a wow, little okay. different than how they actually do it in like <clears throat> professional looping groups and things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. But I found this was really effective because it was almost like listening to music because I just kind of heard it over and over and then you catch the beat of it and then I can match my words to the, the mouth movement that I did. It's <laughs> weird. Um, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and like there were a couple of those and then the next one was like, oh, we're doing that? Oh, we're doing that? Oh, we're doing that? And then he would tell me to like play with it as I got it down, the rhythm down. And so be like, oh, we're doing that? Oh, we're doing that? Oh, we're doing that. Like, you know, and you can kind of play with it. And and it was really fun. Just It only took, you know, 10 minutes to do the whole entire episode like that. But it was really ingenious the way he put it together. And I could see that that's why the ADR worked so well in these other episodes he'd already done. And uh, he's really good at what he does. And he just gets to own it. You know, he gets to own it. Because what I saw last night, I was really... I, I loved and I can't wait for it to get out to the world. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And he, his, his goal is not to sell it or anything. I mean, he did a lot of these shots, totally guerrilla style. Like he went into a, <laughs> one of the shots and I'll wrap up after this, but he went into a male strip club for one of the scenes, just took his camera in and you know, he has like a five D. So it looks like a, uh, it's a DSLR. So it looks like an actual, like, you know, photography camera. And he just basically smuggled it in and like shot in this nightclub. And they're like, <laughs> They're like these male strippers like wagging their, you know, they're covered, you know, but they're like wagging their junk in the scene and stuff. And, and I was just like, after the episode, I was like, dude, how the hell did you get that? Like, how did you do that? Like, you hired extras and you rented out the nightclub. You're like, no, no, dude, of course not. Like zero budget. I just went in and shot and nobody noticed. Nobody knew. Like they thought I was taking pictures. And so they were trying to like play up to the camera. That was the problem. I couldn't get people out of the shot. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like the bouncer didn't care. Like none of the nightclub staff cared. And, what? and he has a bunch of shots like that. You know, it was, it was really cool though. He was on Hollywood Boulevard and he just stole shots here and there. And he said security guards were gonna intimidate him but then they were like did you get the shot okay cool and, and like because they were like keeping people from walking in front of the shot and what it was it was kind of cool just to you know hear how it was done and he's gonna do a whole behind the scenes segment if he gets to it as well about how he made these episodes and 
That's awesome. Anyway, I, I, that that's yeah. just so like inspiring to like you have like you have no excuse whatsoever. Oh my god! Yeah, like, you have your you have a phone. You have a you have a you have a smartphone with a camera inside of it, and a good idea. Uh huh. You know, the right, you can, the writing is so snappy and witty, and it was just really really great. They, yeah, we we did something similar uh, in Prodigal Son. We we went down onto um, the uh, the <laughs> during the uh, my goodness, there yes. are police helicopters flying over They're us coming right for now. Us. We did something similar for for Prodigal Son because we went to the promenade to the promenade, yeah. and and Alex sat in a car with the camera and shot across the street while you know Paige and I walked walk down the street back and forth doing the same scene doing the same yeah. scene and like it was really cra- it was really crazy because like grabbed her and pulled her into an alley and there were people like oh oh well you guys are oh man i thought i thought you were seriously <laughs> you were like camera in the car across the street it's yeah cool. exactly it's cool. exactly that's cool man it's it's exciting to see where filmmaking's going and how, like, just there's just no excuse there's no excuse anymore you nope. know everybody go read war of art by stephen pressfield and then mm. get a camera and start like yep. it's just that's all you need just begin yes so shall we uh take a look at this uh email we got from yeah from tara so um, or t monique yeah so we 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 a few episodes back if you'll remember listeners we talked about um minor markets and wanting to get you know hear people's stories from minor markets so we actually got um uh, a few emails and voicemails sort of recapping people's stories and we thought we'd just kind of bring it into this episode and bring it together so we have one email talking about minor markets and one voicemail talking about minor markets so um the first is this email from tara which um we've got uh pulled up here and tara just kind of recaps sort of just her last you know what year or so journey um, she started out in Jacksonville, Florida, moved to South Carolina, was kind of uh, moving from in front of the camera to behind the camera, wasn't really enjoying, you know, PAing or, you know, producing or the other sort of behind the camera work. And um, someone suggested because she liked styling to go into wardrobe. And as soon as that happened, as soon as she combined these things that she loved, meaning filmmaking and, you know, costume designer styling, she just took off like a bullet and that is just that that spark is only one tiny percentage of it because everything else was this hard work that she Mm -hmm. started putting in and really just being kind of inventive on how she was going about everything and the and and probably the most important thing, which is the relationship she was creating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she wrote us a really awesome email, like basically detailing her journey. And it's really cool because she talks so much in the email. She talks so much about the kind of lessons she's gleaned from listening to the podcast throughout the years. She's been one of our first patrons, and she's been a supporter of this podcast almost since the very beginning. And uh, it's really great in her email to hear about the kind of evolution of, or maybe maybe the kind of evolution of, I guess, of her clarity of where she wanted to kind mm. of go. And she, she put in capital letters, like, the lessons that she learned. You know, like, let's see, I'm just glancing over the email here. Book the room. Uh, my homework, uh, keep showing up, 
um, bringing all my gifts to bear, you know, like all these little things we've talked about, uh, yeah, all in capital letters, like, and it's, it's just so much, it's so fun to, to read something like this. And, uh, Tara also included, um, a bunch of links and stuff in this email, um, to kind of, kind of, I guess, put little signposts up to where people had directed her for more resources, things that really kind of helped her get to where she was going. So it's an awesome email. I almost want to, I, I almost don't know what to like how to share it because it's it's long but it's so full of good stuff yeah yeah i feel like we should maybe so yeah maybe monique if we have your permission maybe we can take this email and sort of distill it down to its you know bullet points and then put it on the website or something because it reminds me you know what reminds me of is the uh, voicemail we talked about last week um with uh who was it angelo yeah that his name yeah. you know because he was asking like oh i don't really know how to get started and, you know, she, she went on to the website for the South Carolina Film Commission. She went to, like, um, you know, these trade shows with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, other filmmakers and, and met, you know, costume designers and stuff and got advice from them. And, um, you know, the, 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 the well, the, the, the end of the story is that she ended up booking um, a, a job with the costume department on this what she calls a huge TV show in, in North yeah, Carolina. Yeah. We're on the East coast. And like, so she's not even in, you know, LA or NYC. She also talks about how much cheaper it is to live in a minor market. I mean, that's kind of obvious like LA, New York and San Francisco and so on and so forth. Are some of the most expensive places in the world to live yeah. through these relationships, these resources, and just constantly, you know, constant hard work. Um, she's doing it. Yeah. She's doing it. She's made yeah. it happen, you know. I, I would say, as you were talking, two things kind of came to me. Number one, I think, is is the the kind of thrust of this email, I think, is that she was not afraid to just ask people for help, to just share her, share where she was going and just ask yeah. for help. And almost every single kind of paragraph here, it, it kind of has a, a, an element of somebody saying, yeah, of course I'll help you. And then she worked with somebody to kind of get to the next step and mm-hmm. then the next step and the next step. And she also just totally went on faith. Like she, she talks about moving to North Carolina because she had an interview set up there and she just kind of packed her car and thought, well, I might stay, you know, and then mm-hmm. the interview had to be rescheduled. And so she had to basically make ends meet for a few weeks there with odd jobs. But it's cool that she just kind of acted on faith. And I think when you make bold moves like that, the universe kind of just gets out of your way, you know, it just, it just wants to go. It's like Will Smith says it in an interview I saw on, online somewhere. He says the universe is like water. It just kind of wants to go around things, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, yeah. And so much, awesome. so much of what doesn't happen in our lives is caused by fear, you know? And it's, it's like, we never know what could, what's possible if we don't stop being afraid and just, do just yeah. go just be just like yeah. you know what could po- you know if you've been afraid your whole life then you know why not try something different right right you know amen end so, of the podcast <laughs> and that's it we ended on episode 114 thank you for There's sticking with us on, the nothing last more year. to learn than that uh, um so yeah. thank you. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to add? I, uh, that, Tara, thank you so much, not only for your awesome email, but also for all your support throughout the years. Um, like I said, she's been with us since the beginning, and it's just awesome to you know, hear about her journey as we go on ours and know that you know, together we've kind of got each other's backs. Yeah, so, absolutely. Cool. Thanks for being in touch. 
continue to do so, and I guess let us know if we can use uh, some or part of that uh, that email. So we have a voicemail from, I think she says her name is Luba. Um, it's a bit tough to tell, but um, she's from Washington, D.C., also uh, technically a minor market, and um, continuing that conversation. Hi, you guys. My name is Luba, and I'm calling from Washington, D.C. I've been listening to your podcast for over a year now, and I finally caught up to the latest podcast. So I just want to let you know that you are doing an amazing amazing job. And um, just to tell you, um, Washington, D.C. is actually a pretty big city um, in acting. Um, There's tons of jobs here. Um, I have a few friends who actually make a living in Washington, D.C. There's always tons of movies being filmed here. So you don't have to be in L.A. or New York to to be, to make a living as an actor. Um, So, um, yeah, you guys are doing a great job. Thank you so much. You are my motivation um, Mm. because D.C. is, because it's a political city, there's not, there are actors, but there's not as much support as I would like to have. And you guys definitely are a big support. So Mm. thank you so much. Bye. Wow. Well, Luba, thank you. <laughs> that thing just made my week. Warm um, fuzzies. Yeah, warm fuzzies all around. Thank you so much for calling. And uh, I have family that lives in Washington, D.C., and every time I go out there, they always say, you know, let's go see a show. Like, there's a lot of theater happening out here. And I feel like secretly the vibe I get is that they're like, you should consider living out here because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot going on. And uh, the theater I have seen out there is excellent. So, so yeah, um, I've, I've always known I've heard that, a lot about that. Yeah, me too. I've always known that exactly that, that there was a lot of like equity, like big, you know, theaters and stuff. I hear about that for some reason, a lot, maybe it's just from doing regional theater work or something, but I've, mm-hmm. I have heard that, that there are, you know, uh, big, big theaters there and a lot of theater, a lot of work as an actor in theater. I never really thought what I got from this voicemail, a few things, I never really got, I never really thought about the fact that there's a lot of uh, film work there. But then I was thinking, like, so many movies, especially if they're American, take place in Washington, D.C. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to shoot there. You know, it's not like... Um, I don't know where they shot the West Wing, actually. It'd be interesting to I don't know to look up. But yeah. it's not like every movie that takes place in Washington, D.C. is shot in Washington, D.C. But, like, everything from, like... You know, action movies like Independence Day to, um, you know, Olympus. I, it, I thought it was funny that these two movies, uh, what was it, Olympus Has Fallen and then the one with uh, Jamie Foxx and... White um, House Down. White House Down. Yeah. Like, it was the same movie. Yeah. It was like the exact... I'm like, who... Like, is this the same writer and he, like, tricked everyone by selling the, <laughs> same, the same script and, like, now he's, like like move to Mexico with his millions of dollars right, and he's right. living in Cabo <laughs> because he could be sued for breach of contract That's when he comes awesome. back. Like it seemed like the same exact movie. You know, I can imagine that it's a great backdrop for, you know, a bunch of 
films. So I, I never yeah, really thought yeah. of that before until this voicemail. And Washington's a cool city, man. I've you know been there a bunch of times, and I, I really like how um, my experience of it is that it's a very like clean, organized city. Like you just feel like a lot of politics are done there because just the way the sidewalks like look, they're really clean and everything's like got nice clean edges and, and everybody's just, it's just, it's a very clean, efficient city, uh, in my experience. And it's just, it's just a good vibe. So, uh, a good, it's good to know that, uh, that people are making a living and doing well, even in cities that, you know, are not known for theater, but that have a lot of good theater. Yeah. Have you ever seen Washington DC from space? Speaking of no. it being clean and set up. So our founding fathers, you know, it's a, you know, it's a big circle, yeah. right? Yeah. Like a, it's like a, it's like a crop circle. Um, and with, you know, these rings, they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then the capitals in the center uh-huh. and like the, the, the roads are set up in such a way that it would just, it, they made it very, it's defensive. They made it difficult to get to the capital. It's like a, it's like a fortress. So smart. They did something not quite like that, but similar with uh, Philadelphia. When they set up city hall, like Thomas Jefferson stood there and was like, okay, here is this, here is this. And, and if you read about the history of it, it's so cool to stand at city hall and see exactly how he planned it out. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Love um, it. And then what was the other thing that, Oh, uh, the, the other thing I was going to talk about was I never thought about in minor markets, the, the lack of support in the way that she says it, because I had always thought like, well, maybe it means there's less jobs. And if there's less jobs, maybe there's less agencies, less casting directors, less acting classes, less, you know what I mean? Like there's like, just like, you know, less of everything. But what I, what didn't translate in my head really was that I wonder if that makes some actors in minor markets feel lonely or unsupported. Mm -hmm. I mean, cause like, from yeah. my point of view, like not only living in LA, but with the friends that I have, the friends that we have, I'm constantly surrounded by actors or other filmmakers or other, you know, creative artists or other, um, people involved in the industry. Plus, you know, those are my friends. Plus just being in LA, you're just constantly surrounded by it everywhere all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like, just like you were saying, throw a rock and hit a thousand people yeah. who want to make a movie or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, just, I don't know. I just never considered what that must be like. Yeah. To live in a minor market and feel like you don't, you feel more, I wonder, I wonder if you feel more isolated, lonelier, and unsupported. That's a good, that's a really good <clears throat> thing to think about, I think. I know I love Philly because it has like a nice underground kind of arts movement but it's not, it's not visible on the surface. Like you have to live there to kind of be in touch with it. Hmm. And every time I go to another city, like I was in Boston a year or two ago for my buddy's wedding and Boston's got a nice active theater scene too. But after a couple of days there, and I find that this is pretty much anywhere I go, that's not LA or San Francisco or New York or someplace big like that. I go there and after a few days, I'm like, there's nothing going on here. Like I want to go back <laughs> to LA, you know, I just, I'm looking for like, I want to be where the action is, you know? Hmm. Um, but clearly that's an interpretation, you know, uh, yeah. because there's a lot going on. It's just, it's just different. It looks different just yes. because movie stars aren't everywhere. doesn't mean it's not awesome to live there. <laughs> right. You know, as you continue to share your stories from minor markets with us, um, maybe include what it's like on the day to day. Do you feel supported? Do you feel unsupported? It's an interesting conversation, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. So now that we have these dudes outside, like, 
I don't know what they're doing, but they're banging us. Let's go ahead and jump to the interview. That sounds like a great <laughs> idea because there's another helicopter coming too. I know. So uh, here's part two with Lindsay Hollister. Enjoy this. We'll see you guys on the other side. As you talk about um, bigger girls in Hollywood, and um, what, what, come, what, what came up for me when you said that is I, it, it, where I grew up in a small town in the South, um, if anyone other than a really beautiful young man or woman said, I'm moving to Hollywood to be an actor, they would have been laughed on the way out. Mm-hmm. So um, what was, how has being, I, I don't know what, what the appropriate fra- term is, you know, plus size for weight, whatever. How Zapting. That, that one. How has that affected your career, and do you think um, do you think it's different now for girls who are you know um, plus size than it was when you came in? Oh yeah, um, yeah no definitely that's a great question. You, I think yeah like when you you're right there's this idea if you're going to go to Hollywood you should be you know you look like Angelina Jolie you know um, but I feel like you know with me I was obviously I was always like plus size and. But I was like, oh, I know that there's, like, a niche for me, you know, like, Roseanne did it, you know, like, Kathy Bates, you know, like, there's somebody has to play these roles, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, I just think that there, there weren't, like, girls were not as encouraged even, like, 13, 15, you know, years ago. So you knew the ones who were working, like Sarah Rue, Marissa Jarrett Winokur, who won the Tony for Hairspray. Those were the girl, like, you, those are the people I would see, you know, like... Uh, like even though like now Sarah Rue has lost a ton of weight, so she's really not in the category. But it was like super small, you know. Like you knew everybody, like you knew. Like I said, when you go in for something, there's five of you. One of you was going to get it, you know. Um, it, it absolutely has changed drastically. Um, as more, I think like there's more acceptance and there's been more, you know, like more roles and more. Um, more people finding success what's been extremely difficult for me personally and i know other i won't speak for other women in my category but i know that because i talked to them is when you see like a plus size actress who like you do all this work and you hope that you're going to make go to the next level like just come in and totally skip over all those steps like that's so frustrating that like you if you have an australian accent and like you, you know, like you <laughs> I come. I have no idea who you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I really like gnaws at me because you, like I said, I you. This is the one profession where I'm like, oh, all of this doesn't matter. Like you talk, like I'm at that point where you're like, oh, look at this, I, your IMDb. I'm like, none of that fucking matters. It doesn't matter at all. Like not like like that. And again, I mean, I'm not trying. Like I'm not saying in a negative way, but like in the like. There was like with the character, like, there's no progression into going to that next level because you are absolutely like there's the their roles are still so limited that if somebody bypasses you, like somebody new or new or not have as many credits, and they book something that like would take them to the next level, you will lose the next ten jobs to them. So I wow. I would love to know how has I mean let's get right to it I mean how have Rebel Wilson and Melissa McCarthy and even Octavia Spencer how have they how how has their success impacted your career 
Um, Melissa McCarthy was always, uh, always like a level ahead. I think like when I came here, um, and I think she's hilarious and fantastic. And I mean, I have auditioned, I like every time she was off a show, I, when I auditioned for a pilot, like she got it. Like I auditioned for Samantha who she got, I auditioned for Mike and Molly. Like it was her. Now she's completely, I mean, you want to talk about like, she's not even the same ballpark, you know, like she's stratospheric, like successful. But for her, like it was, I was never upset because Melissa had been doing it way long. And I feel like she built, like she did what we were all told we were supposed to do. You start off doing your guest stars and you get your series regulars and hopefully you'll be doing some best friends in the comedies and movies and stuff. And so, the, so like Melissa always had like this progressive, you know, she was on that track of like what you, what Hollywood sort of promised you, I feel like, you know, like that's what, you know, that's where you should be in 10 years. And then also when you all of a sudden you're like, oh, my, you know, career, what do you mean uh, you want a Rebel Wilson type? Who the fuck is Rebel Wilson? You know, like this girl came out of like left field and like in a way it's like first of all she's australian and there is a program in australia that they get seen by caa and top agencies out of this program in australia she signed with caa the minute she put her chubby little toe down on american soil i cannot compete with that because caa packages people i mean nobody i know went in for bridesmaids not any actress not any character actress out there um, that I know, again, that maybe they're out there, went in for bridesmaids. Like, that's all, like, top, like, CAA gets those people in from the very, you know, beginning. So she auditioned for the part that Melissa McCarthy got, and then they liked her so much, which is what you always hope as a character actress, you know, will happen, that they wrote her that role of the roommate. And then, I mean, I knew it, guys, from the minute I saw that trailer. Like, I rewound it and was like, oh, shit, who's this? And I knew it. Like, I was like, mm. oh, my God. Like, this girl is now... She will now have the next 20 to 50 jobs. Mm. You know? Um, just from that, like, 30... You know, 15-second trailer of Bridesmaids before it came out. Wow. Yeah. Well, it was heartbreaking. Because you were like... I'm, you're like, I know. I mean, now my career just went back five years. Mm. So, what do you do then? Because, you know, you talked about how you... you you're doing the Benjamin Button of careers. <laughs> how do you stay competitive, having been here... 13 years and now people like rebel wilson are showing up i can't compete with rebel wilson i i can't be competitive with her there's just not like i said when you like well she's now again she's not melissa mccarthy like level but she's close i mean she has her own show that she wrote you know that cbs is going you know we have her now like what <laughs> like i can't even like you're it's you're just gobsmacked that you're like you're like, she is not the only funny fat girl, and everyone acts like she's the only funny fat girl. But again, the, the accent really helps. Sorry, I have to go mm-hmm. back to the accent. But like, you know. You I can mean, rebrand yourself. You know, new name, new yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, mean, <laughs> I'll be like Danger Hollister, you know. Like, yeah, there you go. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> got a good ring to it. Danger <laughs> I mean, I don't. I hate to rip on her because, listen, it's her own journey. She didn't mean, I think, for, I don't think she even realizes, like, what she did to the character women of this town who have been here. But I, like I said, like you, she when she was when you sign with CAA, you have advantages that most people don't. Like I said, you're going to be packaged. You're going in for projects way above anybody else, and so you know. But then it's like now everybody wants a Rebel Wilson type, but no one can give that to them but Rebel Wilson because of that. I mean, right, she has an right. accent. It's why 
people think she's funny is because everything sounds a little funnier when you have an accent, you know, like it's slowed down. It's a little bit more intentional, you know, like, uh, it's just, it's, and she's funny, like whatever, she's funny, but like, there's like, like everybody wants her now instead of going, well, who's the next then there has to be other girls out there. You know, I feel like they do that with ingenues, but they don't do that with character women. They just want that. You know, like everybody wants a Melissa McCarthy type. Everybody wants a Rebel Wilson type, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I get, like, I'm super bitter about it. Like, that whole process. Because, you know, you, like, because it so sets everybody back. You know, like, again, it, like, people think, oh, they're opening doors. Yay. No, they're not. Because everybody wants them, you know? Mm. And they'll get them, you know? eventually like i mean rebel has a show now and stuff like that so if it's successful we'll see but i guarantee you the minute she's off that show she'll start getting like you know the other, like melissa mccarthy you know when she came off of gilmore girls and went right to do samantha who and then that got canceled so and then she went to do you know mike and molly you know like you know whenever she's off of a show well not now but she then she was going right. to book that job you right. know mm. so have you ever felt uh, – I've always been curious about this, about characters who are very clearly a niche for whatever reason. But in this specific case, have you ever felt pressured to maintain a certain appearance um, for fear of falling out of that niche? Well, yeah. I mean, I I mean, I mean, have lost weight. You know, I was getting to the point where I, the feedback was coming that I was, like, too fat to play, like, the, you know, fat roles. So I wanted to take that off, like, out of the equation, you know, sort of thing. But then I got to a certain point where my agent's like, don't lose too much weight. Because uh-huh. then, you know, you can't be in between. Like, they don't know what to do with you if you're in between. You know, like, if you're, uh-huh. like, a normal size like, woman, like, just a little bit of weight, they're either, like, lose it all or gain a little bit more. You know, so they, because they don't know what else to do with you. Because there's wow. not a lot of women who are like, like, you know, how, like they thought Megan Mullally was fat and she was like a size eight, you know, yeah. like, yeah. so it's either like you're like super skinny or like you have to be chubby, you it's, know. It's so weird. You know, I'm thinking of Jonah Hill specifically because he used to be kind of a, a chubbier guy and he is kind of known in some circles for just like being so inspiring because he took control of his health and he lost like, you know, all this weight. And now he's like this really thin guy and. I haven't seen him do anything since since that happened. And I, I wonder a lot about, like, well, crap. Did he just, like, screw himself out of a ton of jobs because he decided to do something kind of that he wanted to do rather than keep catering to this type or this, you know, whatever? I think it's I harder know. for people who are not at Jonah Hill's level. Uh-huh. Like, there was um, a guy on po- that, that show Popular, and he had done, like... Um, what was that uh, kind of smooth, uh, the varsity blues. Mm. Like he had always played like this really heavy, like usually a fo- like football player. His name's Rob, Rob, we should IMDb him. But like he notoriously like always played those roles, lost all the weight and then like never worked again. But like, I don't, I think Jonah Hill's maybe a little bit outside it. Like he'll right. still probably continue to do stuff, but, um, because he's sort of more, I mean, he's definitely more of a name, but any like working actor, it's like career suicide. I think. So do you do you consider it a choice between like your health and your career? Or, I mean, or or is the your weight that much of an impact on your health at this point? I mean, my weight like was not ever. I was never like pre diabetic or anything. But eventually, probably would have been. You know, like it would have like it catches up to you. But I I I lost the weight for my career. Like that's how career. 
focused I am, but like, I mean, also yes for health. Well, I mean, I've I told my you, doctors that. I, I've known you. <laughs> I've known you for a few years, and and you've lost quite a bit of weight since I've known you. So, are you are you now at the size where you're considered? one of the fat chicks or like what what is oh, that's where a good question like my manager's like she's like people are just rediscovering you like i especially like last year like some casting directors who know me were calling me in for true blood and they were like like my manager called me she's like how much have you lost and what size are and how much do you weigh now and what size are you now and i was like oh that's specific and she's like they will not call you in unless they like know so i told them and then i like went in and like lisa sotow was like oh my god Oh my god, you know, because I've lost the, the weight. So, what's see, like, what's amazing is that it's like there's these great roles I've auditioned for that are like just slightly overweight, like chubby that would have never gone in for. And then there's been a couple of roles that like like Courtney Cox just directed a film where they were looking for like a 300 pound like pretty girl to like play like Sean William Scott's like girlfriend that he had in high school, but she's gained weight. And I was like, fuck, I can't go in for this. Like, I can't, you know. And so, like, some new girl got it. And again, like, I'm like, well, let's see how many roles she gets now. (laughs) It's a lead. It's a lead in this, like, you know, film with, like, names. Like, it's going to get attention. Yeah. You know? So, but again, when I was heavier, when I was at my heaviest, I wasn't getting roles anyway. So, I really think it's, like six of one half a dozen or another mm-hmm. doesn't matter what weight i'm going to be at i'm either going to be too heavy or i'm going to be too thin it doesn't matter mm-hmm. now we're, we're getting kind of tight on time so i want to make sure that we kind of leave enough time to talk about the kind of career you've created for yourself outside of the entertainment industry because we met you at a place called the pie hole that you started <laughs> and owned with your hus- husband right fiance husband yeah not quite your husband. Uh, <laughs> i love that we're done talking about being fat and i'm like and i own a pie shop <laughs> <laughs> great look what i just did that's so uh, like me to not even like make that connection um but but I, I think that's so cool and we were we were kind of chatting on the way over here and you were saying how uh you know owning a business and like your friend who owns restaurants was like, now is the time to do this. And yeah. you know, you've, you've been in the black since you started. So tell us a little bit about what that's like and how that plays into your vision for your career and how that, and actually um, how your vision has changed over the time you've been here. I mean, I'm sure everybody gets off the bus or the oh, train yeah. or the boat or whatever. And they're all like, I'm going to be a star, you know? Oh, and then yeah. the years go by and you get a little bit more, you know, you understand more about the industry and you realize what's, what's achievable. Uh, maybe in a certain framework. Absolutely. But um, so I wonder how that vision has changed, and then what 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 it's like to have this kind of sustainable career business that's actually growing. You're, you're talking about franchising and all sorts of yeah. stuff. So I think it's a really good question because it's like there's like these people who come, you know, and I think it's great. Like you should totally have a dream. But I have like you know over 30 credits of film and television. And I'm wondering if I'm going to make it. Mm. You know, I have a manager. I have agents. I have like six altogether team of people and I'm still wondering if I'm going to make it. I don't know. And I honestly can't, I can't even tell you. So, you know, my fiance I've been with for 10 years and he, his mother was a pie baker. I don't even like sweets. If you told me I could not eat chocolate for the rest of my life, I'd be perfectly fine. That doesn't go for cheese or pasta or wine, but, um, I, I don't care about sweets and I never have. So I think it's kind of, you know, ironic that we have a pie shop, but, um, so he talked about wanting to do it and I, and I was lucky enough to never work in the restaurant industry as an actor. I mean, most people do and I didn't never had to, you know, like I worked in retail and then I started, I made a career for 10 years, you know, sustained my, my, my life. But anyway, so we opened up this pie shop and 
what it has done is that because I'm I'm creating my own projects. I write. I have done. I did a web series earlier this year, and um, I've written a lot of scripts. I'm doing. I'm in right now in pre-production for a short film that I wrote because I'm done with waiting for people to find a place for me. Like I said, too fat, too thin, too pretty, too plain, like whatever, you know, like with character actresses, you're always too much of something, you know, until you're right. So the thing that I've realized about like the, in the pie shop has been doing really well. We're in downtown Los Angeles and, um, we're in this great neighborhood and people have been discovering us for two years. And so like what I realize and I've talked to my fiance about is like, I'm going to make money from this business. I'm going to do my own projects. Like mm. that's what I'm going to, I'm going to produce. I'm going to write. I'll do, you know, I don't always have to necessarily star in it, but I think like the only way to stay sane in this business is to do your own work, to be creative. Yeah. Cause otherwise, you know, like I auditioned for a series regular last Friday um, and that was like the best five minute audition I've ever had. And, you know, I haven't heard anything, but that's not enough to keep me going. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I can't yeah. li- like, you know, fulfill like my creative soul on that, you know? So I'm just going to circumvent everybody and do it and fund my own stuff. I think a lot of the people that we would consider names or even, even people who are industry names, you know, I think it's a thing now. I mean, it's been for years, actually. They build wealth in other ways, not just in acting, and they use that to create their overall empire of their, their acting career and whatever business they're in. Oh, I mean, yeah. what's his face from um, guy with the mustache who's on Blue Bloods? Oh, Tom, Tom Selleck. Selleck. Tom Selleck owns a freaking, like, um, avocado farm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like a whole bunch of them. Yeah, so, Robert De Niro owns bars and stuff. And yeah. There's all yeah. Sort, they all have weird side businesses that you never would never know. think, yeah. but that's that's how they sustain themselves mm. between projects. And it's how they create work that they want to be doing. So yeah. they take they take yeah. the power back. No, exactly. Like, you know, like, I that's how I feel. And we've talked about, I mean, right now we're in the process of franchising, you know, and it can be extremely lucrative. Um, and, and that's why I said, like, that's what I'm going to do with my money. Like I'll, I'll make my own movies. I'm going to make, I'm going to tell the stories that I want to tell and stop relying on other people. You know, if they like to so graciously write in like a character mm-hmm. woman role, you know, I'm just not going to wait for that because what I've learned is, is like when you walk through that door, it, you may not know, you know, the whole story behind, they really want Rebel Wilson because they see her everywhere. And, yeah. you know, we're all about, you know, like I said, or even like, like you said, like TV names, like people that you wouldn't even really think. Like I was up for a recurring role on like a really popular comedy and it's like they just wanted a TV name. So they finally got this girl. And I was like, nobody knows who she is. Half the industry doesn't even know who she is because she's on some like random, you know, but it was so important for them to get a TV name. Like somebody that had been like on a TV show, wow. so I like again like I don't I I want it I, I want to sound hopefully I want to empower like sound empowered not sound like yeah, yeah. I'm like like I said bitter but the industry will make you realize you cannot wait for it to come to you you yeah. have to go to the industry you just have to yeah we've heard that time and time again and DIY yeah. stuff is a huge part of the the podcast and yeah. it's so cool to hear that, that you're <laughs> moving into producing and I you know it's funny hearing you talk I was like well. Is there a point that you're afraid you might actually become so successful at producing that you might be put in a position where you have to be the person saying, "No, nope, we need a TV name. We need a TV oh, name." Still, right now with our short film, really? I hate to you're say you're already it, there. Already there. Wow. You, it and it, it kind of I thought about it today because I wrote a role 
And it's not even like a big part of it because it's still a short film. It's only like, you know, 18 pages. And I wrote a role for uh, this manager of ours at the pie shop because she's adorable and she works really hard for us. But she's like, like the producers of my short want like they can get they can get a girl who's been on a TV series, a couple of TV shows. So I thought to myself, this is so perfectly timed as I was walking to the pile today that I was doing to her exactly what I hate being done to me. Wow. Yeah. And it just comes down to business. It's just the way it has to. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, as much as I like will moan about it and groan about it, I, you have to, I I do understand that there's the word business after the word show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. not personal. It's not personal. I just wish that there's a little bit more imagination and a little bit more, that of that like because i still i'm giving her a role you know she's so excited it's not as big as the other one but she's still going to be in it you know mm-hmm. i just wish with some of these things that they really stopped and thought about it that they doesn't make that big of a difference like on you know like on who they're getting basically i think um i think that's why creative people who aren't at, you know at the behest of a board somewhere like the people at nbc get to create that creativity and build that into the industry. And that's why I'm inspired by you creating. And as you say this, what occurs to me is when Mike and Molly was being put together, that role was auditioned for. And the guy, the other guy whose name I can't even remember now, who plays her husband, he was the attached name. He was. He was. <laughs> no way. He was. And he nobody was. knew who he was. Yeah, and nobody knew, and nobody oh, knew who he was, really. And then Melissa McCarthy got that job. All of a sudden, she's a, an Emmy winner and an Billy Oscar Gardell. nominee. Billy Gardell. Billy Gardell. I mean, wow. he's great. But- you know what, too, really quick. I know we're running low on time, but what I found so weird about Mike and Molly was that Billy Gardell was attached to it. And I th- thought the hardest one to find was Molly because Billy Gardell's like in his 40s. So when I'm auditioning for it, I mean, I maybe like, I was like, I look way too young against, like, well, especially this was like, what, three, four years ago now? I was like, I look too young against Billy Gardell. It was so weird that they would not attach Molly. Like at the same time and do any sort of chemistry thing, but that was like his show, you know. So what if Melissa didn't do it? Like who, you know, she kind of works with him, but like the girls that I know that went in for it wouldn't have really worked as well with him because he's older and you know, like I was weird that there was like you wouldn't want to do a chemistry with these two. They're supposed to, you know. Yeah. And so I think it, it's lucky it worked out for them. I mean, probably Chuck Lorre's like I know what the hell I'm doing, you know. But <laughs> yeah. But like when I was auditioning, I was like, I'm just gonna have fun with this, and I'm never gonna get this role. You know, you want it, but you're like, but I auditioned for Chuck Lorre, so I was like, okay, that's cool. Let that's this nice... be, uh, yeah, yeah, this nice. will be the that was my cherry, you know, on top of the Sunday. Yeah. Like he maybe laughed a couple of times, but. And Hi, Chuck. Like, and now yeah. he's seen your hey, work. Hey, you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so two questions we like to ask all our guests before we wrap up. And they're a little bit meta, but um, we love them. And we love the responses we always seem to get. So uh, the first question is um, a little woo-woo, but do you feel like this career path chose you or do you feel like you chose it? I feel like it chose me. Wow. Okay. Why? Because uh, there, Because it's like there's nothing else that feels right. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. I don't have, I feel like I'm, I'm helpless to it. Like, I don't feel like I have, I'm, I have to succumb to it because I know that nothing else makes me happy, even though it makes me incredibly unhappy. I know that nothing else makes me happy. And I know that there's nothing else that I was really meant to do. Like I can be good at the business. I can go down and I can run it. I can manage it, but I, it doesn't feel right. Acting has always felt right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And the second question is, if you could take all your experience from 
really from your first play in, was it middle school or high school In high school? So your first play in high school all the way through now, if you take all that experience and boil it down to one nugget of wisdom that you would pass on to a fellow actor oh. or a fellow creative type, whatever that is, what would that nugget of wisdom be? Oh my gosh. Wait, with a nugget, like it has to be like a sentence or it just, like just a, a word, a little thing you'd pass on just like, a little, like <laughs> always trust yourself or whatever it is. Yeah, oh, right? um, <laughs> figure that one out. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, I think like something really like lame leapt into my mind first about it was like the don't give up hmm. because there's been so many t- like times like I, like I actually last week, like was really questioning it hard. And I got this, like, really, like, I would kind of always threaten myself throughout the years. Like, I'm just going to give it up, you know? This is, you know, and then it was like, that would never happen. But last week I was super, like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I don't feel like I know anything about acting anymore. So I had this, I was going into the creator of a show. Like, I was, like, with the first group of women going in. Like, all these women are, like, repped by, like, anonymous content, UTA, you know, CAA, William Morris. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I like, I had to just be like, let it go. Mm-hmm. Let it go. Mm. And I walked in that room and I made him laugh. And he was like, you are really funny. And I was like, okay. Thank you. Do you, do you feel like it's on some, on some spiritual level that was like the universe just kind of giving you a little prod to say, no, you're not done yet. Not done yet. Yeah. I think it was, like I said, like when it chooses me, it was mm. like... Let it go. Like, so let it go or let it be would be another thing. Mm-hmm. Like just mm-hmm. let it be what it is because you will never have control. Wow. You will never have control in this industry. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter if you're a series regular or whatever. You will never be in control. So let it be. Wow. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Wow. Um, so we had planned to uh, head over to your shop and yes. try some stuff. I am um, so excited. Do we have time? This. Do we have time for this? We got to roll. Uh, do we have time? Can this just be like a five-part miniseries? Mini yeah, right. Episode? Right. Um, let's see if we can run down there and uh, and just catch a little uh, catch, catch a little, a little pie. We'll have to be super quick about it. But we're gonna we're gonna yeah. go to we're gonna go to Lindsay's shop and eat some pie. All right. I um, just want free pie. Yeah, right. But before we do that, Lindsay, I just want to be sure that people can find you online. So do you have a Twitter, a Facebook? Where can I people do. find you? Um, I, I I am hid, hidden on Facebook. Sorry, guys. If you find me on Facebook, it's not me. Um, I am obviously the people that, like make up fake Facebook profiles with me, and I'm like, how lame do you have to be, <laughs> like that you're making wow. about me? Um, I am on Twitter. My name is too long. Lindsay Hollister has too many letters for Twitter. So it's Lynn's Hollister. So L-I-N-D-S-H-O-L-L-I-S-T-E-R. Okay. Please come follow me on Twitter because I am snarky. And I like to say really like sarcastic, funny things. And I also like to find people who are talking about this shitty movie that I did called Blubberella, which oh, we, we didn't, didn't get, get into. Oh, oh, we didn't even get to talk about but, that. Um, yeah. You I like should look up the Blubberella trailer. Yes. We, yeah. That'll be for a whole nother time about that movie. But, um, so you can find me on Twitter and I have a website, lindsayhollister.net. Okay. I like to, I put up reruns on yeah. there. Yeah. Your, re- your reels on there and all yeah. sorts of good stuff. Cool. Yes. Okay. Or you can IMDb me if you want to know how old I actually am. <laughs> 25. Because IMDb insists on that. Don't they? Um, so we will include links to all that on our, our website so people thank can you. find that easily. And um, before we head over to the pie shop, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Yes. This is really Word awesome. It went fast. Yeah, it doesn't it go fast. Does. Time yeah. flies. Yeah, thanks.
Okay, welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed part two of Trevor and Ryan's interview with uh, Lindsay Hollister. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to say that because uh, I, I couldn't say Trevor's interview. It wouldn't be true. Yeah. Um, and do you want to talk about what they should stick around for later? Yeah. yeah, at the end of the interview, I think we talked, I think I remember us talking about, we don't always listen to the interview like right before we come back in, so sometimes... There's a little redundancy or like lines that don't quite connect, <laughs> but um, I, I remember us uh, saying that we were going to go down to her. Um, I guess it's like a bakery slash coffee shop slash kind of pseudo restaurant uh, called the Pie Hole. It's in downtown LA, and we basically recorded a little segment uh, down there talking to her about uh, what the business is, how she runs it, and we even sampled a bunch of the food. And it's really it, it lucky was, it dogs. Was, it was really fun. It was really fun, and. Uh, uh, yeah, so we just recorded it on our on my iPhone and uh, enjoyed it. And it's you know it'll be cool. We'll just tack it on to the end of this episode. Awesome. Yeah. Rock so, and roll. Um, uh, loved her perspective on the industry, though, as someone who's kind of been there, done that, and is now kind of coping with some of the issues of getting older, her physical appearance changing, uh, and younger people who kind of look more the part. And when I say the part, I mean that kind of caricature. Uh, kind of coming up and and getting the roles that she used to be getting and now kind of what she's dealing with is she's transitioning a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, so thankful that um, we got to sit down with her. So uh, let's talk about picks of the week. Pick of the week. My pick of the week is a book that I read a long time ago. I, I got it several years ago when I was still living at, uh, <clears throat> on Wilshire in Westwood with oh, you. Oh man, the tower, think, the yeah, marquee, the tower. Uh, I, so I, I've heard about this book on some like weightlifting blog or something, which is kind of strange because this book is very much about like just how to kind of spiritually, uh, navigate life with peace (laughs) as it were. It's a book called awareness by a guy named Anthony DeMello, who from what I understand is, is, or slash was, he's now passed away, but he was a non-denominational kind of priest type person so he didn't subscribe to one religion but he was uh, a holy person and uh he used to lead these retreats and stuff like that and this whole book was basically a a bunch of transcriptions of talks that he gave at these retreats but it's put into book format and it reads like uh kind of like a a long essay essentially on on living and what I like about this guy is he doesn't pull any punches. He's he's not like too holy to the point where it's like very proper or anything. Like he's definitely like a dude that just talks. And he just imparts knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb after wisdom nugget after knowledge bomb after noodle baking thing. And um, one of the ones we were talking about just before we started recording was something that I read. And I had to just stop and like take a nap after I read this just to digest the scope of what it means. And the, I memorized it because it just blew my mind. The quote is, uh, I'm a dictator. You're a dictator. You will behave exactly as I have decided, or I will punish myself by having negative feelings. And I was working at Apple at the time when I read that in retail. And retail can be a very trying experience sometimes when you're dealing with the American public and there's a lot of money involved and people's temper, you know, tempers and, stories and all that stuff come out and they start to they tend to take it out on the employees sometimes and i was taking a lot of that very personally at the time and so when i came across that quote in this book my whole world shifted because i realized that i'm the one who suffers when people don't behave the way i think they should so when i'm judging people's 
uh, behavior, having no idea what their day was like, no idea what they're dealing with in their life. And they come in and I, they behave in a way that I interpret as rude or disrespectful or whatever I make up about it. I'm the one who suffers. I make up a story and then I punish myself by having negative feelings based on how I, ex- I expect them to behave based on some weird, you know, equation in my head. It, it's, it, it changed my world. And this whole book is full of nuggets like that. And, uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's called awareness by Anthony DeMello. We'll have a link on the website and I think everybody should read it. It's right up there with like Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle and all those guys right up there with it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You kind of baked my new. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I, every time I come back to it, you know, every few weeks I'll come back to that in my head and it, the noodle baking is never any less severe, <laughs> you know, severe. I don't it's know about like, that word. It's always like a, a, a big, you know, it's just, it's, it's just the truth. It is just the truth. And the truth is never, uh, it never diminishes in, in its power, I guess. I don't know. Uh, what's your pick? There it is. Truth never diminishes the power. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, I was hesitant. I told you this before we recorded. I was hesitant to make this my pick of the week because it is something that a lot of our listeners won't be able to experience being that is as of right now, LA based. However, two things. Number one, they are considering taking it on tour or they're working right now with like agencies and producers to take it on tour so that as many people as possible can see it. Number one. And number two, it was just so good. Um, my pick of the week is a show that I saw that a lot of, um, Angelinos will know about called for the record. Um, it, it, it was just so, I can't, it's difficult to describe, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. The show's been going on for a few years now. It was created by these two guys. It is a show that just happens at this really cute... It used to be a tiny bar in like the Los Feliz area, but it's, it's because of this show and the, its popularity, the bar has been able to uh, essentially afford to expand into like a restaurant. Um, so they knocked down a wall and expanded out the the the... the the place and now you can go um before and during the show and and order food and eat and so it's (laughs) i don't want it to sound like dinner theater because it is not (laughs) dinner theater you can have dinner and watch theater but it is not dinner theater and what they do is they pick a director a very famous director so they started out with tarantino i believe and since then they've done scorsese and they've done boz lerman and that's the show that we saw last night because they sort of reimagined the boz lerman one since gatsby came out Hmm. and Moulin Rouge is like in my top three movies of all time. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And what they do is they take songs from the soundtracks of those directors' films, and they string together famous scenes from the the, the movies of that director and the songs from the soundtrack, and people sing them. So they hire super like ridiculously talented musical theater performers. Full disclosure: two of the people who are in Heather's are in For the Record, which is how uh, you know we I found out. Well, I found out about it a long time ago because I I actually worked at Apple with a guy who does it as well. <laughs> he wasn't they triple cast it, so he wasn't in this evening unfortunately i didn't get to see him but so i've been meaning to go for the longest time but i'm so glad that i got a chance to see it they hire ridiculously talented people 
to sing and dance and act their faces off for, for you know, uh, an hour and a half, two hours, however long the show was. See, it was that good? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Time disappeared. And the food is great, and the show was fantastic. Like, they just sing your face off. Everybody was super talented um, and nice. I met a few people after the show. Um, I really hope that they get a chance to take it on tour, not only... Um, because, uh, you know, it would be a boon for them, but also because I want more, I want more people to, to be able to see it. Uh-huh. Um, cause like I said, I hesitated making it my pick of the week because it's Los, uh, Los Angeles based, right? but it's just so good. It's too good. I can't not make it my pick after, after what I experienced. So, um, it's called for the record. It's at the Rockwell, um, bar and restaurant in, um, in Los Angeles, in uh, Los Feliz. If you're ever in town, I highly recommend it. It should be a thing. It should be a staple. It should be the kind of thing that people come to L.A. just to do. Wow. It should be the kind of thing that people come to L.A. and go, okay, we're going to go to the Grauman's Chinese Theater. We're going to go Hollywood you know, Walk of Fame. We're going to go to the beach, go to Santa Monica Pier, um, and you know, we're going to go see For the Record. That is a glowing review. That's That's... I don't think you can get much better than that. Yeah. That's a huge testimonial. You yeah. said it was one of the best experiences of your life before you well, started. Well, it was one of the best one of the best theatrical, theatrical experiences. Yeah. Theatrical experiences of my life. Yeah. yeah. Cuz I've seen a lot of shows and it's up there with anything. Any you know, and any professional equity big, you know, glitzy Broadway style tour show that I would have seen at like, you know, our job CTG, like at the Amundsen uh-huh. or anything like that. I was just as entertained, if not more so than some of them. Um, and the talent level was just, you know, was on caliber with, with that kind of thing. And like, um, just so much fun, especially, especially if you are a fan of that particular director and their films, which I am. So that that just added to it because you knew all the because I knew songs and I knew all the all songs, that. every word to every scene. It was just like it was awesome. And you think about it, Bos Lerman, you've got things, you know, Moulin Rouge is like, duh, for a show like this because there's it's a musical, so you just do songs from the musical. But then you think of like you know Romeo and Juliet and Strictly Ballroom and Great Gatsby, and they didn't do anything from Australia. Boz is famous for having really good soundtracks, mm. and so you know they did um, they did Kissing You, Young Hearts, uh, and Love Fool from you know Romeo and Juliet. Um, you know, with Great Gatsby, like Jay Z did that whole. You know, he basically yeah, is like the yeah, entire soundtrack, and so they have a lot of stuff uh, to pull from there. Um, it was, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Well, damn. There it is. Link on our <laughs> website. Check it out, or be worse off for not. Is that? Make, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Um, all, sweet. All the people who are in other countries now are just really sad. <laughs> yeah. Like, thanks, Trevor. <laughs> Sorry. My life sucks now. Yet another reason to get yourself out here. Or, you know, go to D.C. Because D.C. is cool, too. There you go. Um, or North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, right. Or North Carolina. So, let's wrap this episode up so we can get to the segment where we get to eat food and uh, talk about... You get the, to eat food. The pie hole. Oh, my God. I was so good. You'll, you'll, you'll hear us just like, mmm, mmm, this is amazing. Mm. <laughs> so, um, I, want, I want to email Lindsay and be like, hey, I wasn't there, but I'm a co-host <laughs> of Inside Acting. Can I eat your food too, please? <laughs> it was great. It was really cool. Totally jealous. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, then for episode 114, 114, do you remember back at, like, when we had, like, 20 episodes, we'd be like, oh, my God, 20 episodes, man, and now we're, like, 114, and I, it just feels normal. We're just like, oh, yeah, we're in triple digits, whatever. <laughs> NBD. Yeah. Uh, for episode 114, uh, I'm Trevor Elgott. Lots of different ways that you guys can get in touch with and support the podcast. Start at our, our website, InsideActingPodcast.com, where you can comment on an episode, and you can email us, of course, InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com, or also on our website, you'll see a little uh, voicemail number you can call one one i'm sorry one eight hundred wow three two three two actors two one three two one three don't listen to me i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> two one three wow. two actors that's two one three two 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 eight six seven seven that's good that's good go to the website call the voicemail line yeah, go there, email us. i don't know the number <laughs> email us um you know all the ways listen to another episode to get like the 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 laundry list yeah um so that we can get to um to to, to the pie hole yeah that's right all right so we should just jump to it yeah all right cool yeah. so before we get there uh you guys know we're a team we have jen levin as our production coordinator and cesar gamino is our uh technical producer and they do a lot of the heavy lifting now so thank you to them uh, everybody else should thank them as well for making this thing happen. And then uh, for episode 114, I'm Trevor Algott. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, beware of severe noodle bakes. Um, so here we are at uh, Lindsay's, uh, Lindsay's shop, the Pie Hole, and we're going to try some uh, some of her creations. Are these are, are these your recipes or? So a lot of them are family recipes, Becky's recipes, my you know future mother-in-law, and uh, and then we have an amazing pastry team, pastry chef. So yeah, that's where they all they all come from. A little combination of everything. Like our pumpkin pie is Matt's great grandmother's recipe. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty good. Wow. People love it. So, but first we're going to go outside. So we're now outside on the street on uh, what is this? What is this street? Third uh, Street, Traction. Yeah. Uh, we're in downtown LA. It's this really cool little kind of hole in the wall shop. There's uh, not a and lot of places. There was free parking. Was there? I. There's street parking. Lots of street free parking. over there. So Lots of street parking. Plus. And when you sit on the on the sidewalk at these lovely little tables, you can watch for the parking enforcement. Whereas I know I've been parked for two hours. <laughs> Lindsay's now sitting on one of her uh, this customers. This is one of our regular, <laughs> up close and personal sort of place. This is a uh, yeah. It's... Lindsay, introduce me to This is Nancy. She's a she's a jiu-jitsu muay thai fighter. I love it. So what I love is everybody seems to know each other. I know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Lindsay just said hi to like four different okay. people. Yeah, and there and there are a variety of people too. Yeah. Um, All right. So what do we have here, Ryan? So. Or Lindsay. <laughs> um, this uh, we have a maple custard pie. We um, it's actually a very old-fashioned way of making pie. It's done in a water bath. If you cook it too long, it curdles, and if you cook it uh, under, it's uh, that all of the maple runs out of it. So it's very difficult. It takes a long time for it to set up, but it is a really special, unique pie. A lot of people think it tastes like a flan. Meets a creme brulee. Can you have something sweet, or can you? Is that you can't uh, retain I can. your girlish figure? I I can. Let's <laughs> let's try. give this a shot here. Give it a shot. There you go. Oh, it's it's, it's really good. It is. Wow. It's like a rich sweet. It's like um, mm-hmm. it makes it's, me think of like butter. 
So this one's really popular. A lot of people equate this to the crack pie. Uh, Mama Fuko in New York has a, a crack pie that's very famous. So people say that this is our version of the crack pie. Wow. So then over here, there we have a chocolate crostata. Crostata is an Italian type of crust. It's in the pie family. It's baked flat though, without a without a tin. This you can fill a crostata and with anything. We fill this with a dark chocolate ganache and top it with caramel and sea salt. So it becomes like a fudgy brownie, and then we like this. We like salty sweet here, so it gives you that. It's super rich. It's like fudge. Mm -hmm. It's like fudge. That is unbelievable. Super popular. That chocolate thing is really good. And, and so, Lindsay, tell me about this um, this this mocha I'm about to. Ingest. So we spent three months developing the coffee program here. We do our own blend. We don't roast our own beans. Um, I like to equate it to having a surrogate. So we have a roaster that sources our beans for us. Um, we are rainforest certified organic. That is awesome. And we, um, so it's our, it's this blend you can only find here at the pie hole. We have, we carry almond milk, we carry soy milk. So this is a chocolate, uh, almond milk latte. It's delicious. Yeah, we like to be, we wanted to be, um, on par with intelligentsia and handsome. And, uh, there's a lot of coffee options, you know, in Los Angeles. So, um, we're really proud of the coffee program. A lot of people like really come here for the coffee because we always said that a, a, a great piece of pie needs to have a great cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. It goes hand in hand. Yeah. You know, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Just so, put in the middle. Oh my lord! So what's this that just arrived? <laughs> so what just flew in here? We do a we do a pot pie that is shiitake mushrooms, feta cheese, and peppers, and then this is our famous mac and cheese hand pie. So um, this has four different types of cheeses in it and then a garlic panko crust. This is more like a mac and cheese casserole and then instead of like a creamy mac and cheese because of the dough. Mm. That's um, good. This is the best of all worlds because it's mac and cheese, mm -hmm. which nobody can turn down except Brian apparently. And, <laughs> and like a puffy, paste, like flaky, crummy pastry kind of thing. And the, the textures combined are really freaking phenomenal. It's kind of, which I like how it's pie because it's kind of like when you make mac and cheese casserole. Everyone wants like the crispy yep, topping on of, top it. of it. This is like a crispy topping surrounding the mac and cheese. All right, so yep, this is the uh, shiitake mushroom and uh, spinach. Um, it's like a it's like a pot pie almost. Yep. Look at all these mushrooms in here. Yeah, lots of mushrooms. That's why I said you gotta like mushrooms. You know, well, what I was saying before about like the gluten-free was we get asked to do gluten, we get asked to do, to do vegan, and we have a very small kitchen. It's just a matter of having this. I mean, we'll never be like certified gluten-free where like celiacs, people who have celiac disease can come and eat here because you have to make sure all the surfaces are obviously like never have touched, you know. It's very nuts very and all. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing. We, as far as like you know, our most popular pies, um, the ones that people talk about the most. I wanted you guys to have those, but we do. We only do what fruit is in season. We don't believe in using frozen food. So um, we are, you know, right now there's a lot of fruit because it's summer. But once the summer is over, it will uh, go away. You know, like the, I mean, we'll still probably do apples. We could do a banana cream. Those things already sort of stay in season in Southern California. But we don't want to bring food in from other countries, and we don't want to bring fruit that's just not good, you know? So your menu is changing constantly. Yeah, it changes every month. Wow. You know? are, you, are you constantly experimenting with new recipes and new items, or do you circle through or cycle through the same? No, I think we're always doing something new. Um, you know, we definitely have some favorites. The chocolate crostata has not changed. You know, I was going to say, you had me at um, sustainably sourced coffee beans. 
mm-hmm. like rainforest certified. Like, what was that again? Rainforest. It's rainforest certified, certified organic. Um, we ethically source all uh, our coffee. It's extremely important to us. Uh, obviously, like I said, when it comes to coffee and making sure that the farms and you know the conditions are all up to you know the standards um because we do believe you know we have on our coffee with great you know coffee comes great responsibility you know Mm. you have a responsibility to yeah to do right by the environment when you own a business it took me a long time to find um to go items like all of our boxes our coffee mugs and our uh, to-go forks are all eco-friendly biodegradable so we do what we can. You know, we like to buy local. We like to buy from local farms. We like to keep the money inside this community. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of the things I really appreciate about this is that I, a lot of people will say, well, it's impossible to have a successful restaurant if you're sourcing local foods and you're using, uh, you know, earth-friendly materials. But here you are. You said you've, you were in the black almost immediately. We, for and, Since day one, we have always at least uh, broken even. We've never um, had to put in money to the business. Yeah. That's fantastic. And it's yeah. bustling right now there's a, like probably 25 30 people inside and you know almost all of them <laughs> yeah so they all seem to be regulars you we definitely get a lot of repeat quite a few regulars um nancy's a regular logan who walked by buys about four cups of yeah you know what he's a good example of um he's traveled a lot throughout the world and he's a tea drinker he's not a coffee drinker so we have organic you know hot teas on our on menu but he said, you know, when I was in London, I really loved drinking PG tips. It's just my favorite. He's like, if you ever got it in here, I'd come here four or five times a day. So I actually got it for him. So I, he, now he has to live up to his promise. But we, we always said from the beginning that we wanted to create a sense of community. Like we weren't just a pie shop, not just a place you can come and get like a piece of pie and leave. That we wanted a community space. You're you're talking about opening up another location in Pasadena. Do you ever feel like that kind of mom and pop culture is going to be threatened by opening up more locations, and all of a sudden you're a kind of a corporate franchise entity? Oh, absolutely. And that's the one thing like you talk a lot about with like when you're into franchising about how can you maintain your standards. You know, like how is a Chipotle the same Chipotle as that guy who opened Chipotle? Like, is that his dream? You know, like you walk in and, you know, how do you keep it consistent? It's going to take work. You've created a space that is clearly a hot spot in this community, and it's not as if you're the only thing here. Mm-hmm. Where have you got, done it right? Where, where have you come from that other people don't when they, you know, when their businesses fail? Um, I think there's three things. Number one, it's a niche no. product. And how many pie shops do you know? Number two, location, location, location. This is the best area. It's up and coming. It's hip. People love it here. People love the place across the street. So they like they sell sausages and beer across the street. No dessert. We're the only dessert place. Number three, you'll never find people who care about their business or put more blood, sweat, and tears into their business than us. So it's about, you know, every day we try to instill into our staff that we always say people may not like our pie. We have no control over that. But they'll never say they did not receive excellent customer service. So. And that's ultimately what keeps people coming back. You know, you can have the best food in the world, but crappy customer service and nobody's going to show up. Absolutely. But if you make it a really pleasant place to be and you feel safe, hell yeah. <laughs> so, Lindsay, we'll make sure we stick information about this place on our website as well. Oh, yeah. you have a, a website for place yes. or Twitter? You can find, it's just look for uh, the Pie Hole LA. Uh, we put LA, Los, the Pie Hole Los Angeles, but... 
Uh, you can go to our website, is thepieholela.com. You can find us at the Pieholela LA on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the Pieholela LA, or the, on Facebook is the Pieholela Los Angeles. So. Awesome. Okay, sweet. Thanks, guys. This yeah. is Matt, my handsome, handsome.